morning, everyone, and welcome to NSPS Radio Hour. Thanks for joining us today. Always pleased to have our audience joining us when we're on live, and also pleased to have our audience when they're listening to replays of our shows. Uh, we get a lot of that, so we're either way. Thank you for joining us today. I have the pleasure today to have someone join me on the show who hasn't been with me for a while, John. I, my records indicate the last time you joined me on the show was over five years ago, back in 2013. Yeah, it's been quite some time. It didn't. It really didn't seem that far back, but I guess it is. You know how time flies. There's, oh yeah, it didn't to me either. Yeah. And and I've tried to keep records of who've been on the show ever since we started back in 2011. And uh, have my records are pretty good, although there's a few spots where I must have gone brain dead or something. I didn't I didn't write it down. But uh, yours was one, yours was one of the ones that I did have. So I appreciate you yeah. appreciate you being with me. Well, maybe a good way to start today is just to have you chat a little bit about who you are, where you've been, what you're doing, and I'm sure things, if you're like me at least, things have probably changed a little bit in the last five years. Yeah, it has somewhat. You know, I, I moved from Nebraska. My registrations were from Nebraska and all the surrounding states and all the way to Pennsylvania. And then the last one I got was in Georgia. And I actually moved out of Nebraska in, like, 1989 or 90 and uh, moved to Georgia. And uh, and uh, I think I became registered in Georgia, like, in 1995 or six. And I always had a fear that I'd be digging for a property pin in Georgia and hit a hit a cannonball and be the last casualty of the Civil War, you know. But, <laughs> I guess but, that's always possible. Yeah, you never know. So but uh so you know I've been down here I've been down here since that time and uh the only registration I actually kept Kurt was in Georgia because I know I'm not gonna go back to Nebraska or Missouri or Colorado or Wyoming or Pennsylvania and do any work whatsoever. So I just kind of kept it here and, and just kind of retired. Now, my son actually took over the little business that I have here, and uh, he's a registered surveyor and a real, real good surveyor, too. And and, uh, and um, uh, he more or less handles uh, the northern part of Atlanta And because uh, going down into Atlanta is kind of hard. The, the driving is hard. The parking is hard. The, the courthouses are hard, and and what isn't, you know, there's still a few counties around here that aren't online, so that makes it, you know, especially difficult going to the courthouse in downtown Atlanta and so on and so forth. But, you know, I've been doing, I've been helping him uh, a lot, you know, doing some expert witness stuff uh, around the state here and even in, like, South Carolina and doing just little things like that to keep myself occupied, which is, you know, which is kind of fun, you know. Yeah, well, it um, seems to me you've been there long enough. You should be sounding more Georgian in your accent, but it doesn't work. No, I tell you, that Nebraska you just can't get it out of the guy. <laughs> yeah, I think it goes both ways. You know, what? the ones of us from the south, it never goes away from us either. I've been in northern oh. Virginia, and, of course, northern Virginia is still Virginia, but it's not, sure. not really Virginia because, exactly. right. uh, because of all the, you know, the congregation of people here from all over, but... I know. I've been here thirty. I've been here thirty years, and it has had, hasn't had very much impact on on my accent. Yeah. I, as a matter of fact, every time we go, we my wife and I grew up about three hundred miles from here in southwestern Virginia. And every time we go back home, and then come back uh, to work, or at least this was true for her. She was in a meeting planner for until about a year ago 
for a yeah. association. Every time we'd go visit family, she'd come back, and people at work would say, you went home this weekend, we can tell, because your accent's gotten stronger since. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I believe that. Honest to God, it's just, it's just that some people, when they're around a certain group, their mannerisms also, along with their speech, their dialect, kind of kind of turn off and on. I've seen that many times, you know. It's kind oh, of yeah. funny. I, actually. I think you're right, yeah. You know, but uh, so have you gotten I involved? Gonna, I was going to ask you, have you gotten involved at all in in Samsung, the the state group? No, I have. You know what? Because I tell you what, I travel so darn much. I I, I just uh, I mean, you know, because I've lived also in Destin, and and you know, when you don't have a lot to do, Kurt, it's funny. But uh, two years ago, I said, oh, you know, I don't have anything to do, so I so I jumped in the car and drove all the way from Destin all the way to. Uh, California, Huntington Beach. I have a good friend of mine there who's retired from the Secret Service and uh, and spent a few days with him. And coming back, I went to Barrett Jackson for a few days. And and uh, you know, so you know, believe it or not, I really keep busy uh, traveling a lot. And and uh, that doesn't mean that I don't have time for something like Samsung. But uh, no, I really never really got 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 involved with it. And I think they do a great job, though. And I think. You know, keeping everybody up to date on, you know, the, you know, the aspect of surveying is, is, you know, really, really, really important. I think too they should really emphasize a whole lot more on research, research, research. Because I've seen so many surveyors in my life uh, do a survey and shortcut research and wish to God they didn't. You know, and oh, that and, is uh, so true. It is true, and you know, even I mean, we've done jobs in Atlanta here that we spent like a day and a half in downtown Atlanta at the state archives, and very, very glad we did because I tell you what, there's some information there. Half the time, you find stuff you wish to God you didn't, you know. But, but, <laughs> That's true. But, but, but you know, but uh, but uh, I tell you what, I, I cannot think of anything I've enjoyed more in my lifetime than surveying. I, I, not only the people I've met, the registered surveyors, and those that are not registered, but just, just a lot of really, really good, dedicated, fine, you know, American citizen people, really, really great people. Yeah, that's true. And you were talking about Samsung. They just recently went through uh, an effort to get the hydrology portion taken out of their their licensing law. I saw uh, that, yeah. They, it was sort of a mandatory thing. And my, my good friend, Greg Johnson, is retired now. He worked for Georgia Power for years, and he lives up in, mm-hmm. in near Jasper now. But uh, And he still stays uh, somewhat involved, but he keeps me informed. And then, of course, I have contacts within the Samsung also to sort of keep up with what they're doing. And, uh, but you're right, that whole research thing is is very very important and no matter where you're working i was as a matter of fact i was going to ask you about uh, the the switch over if you will from the pLSs to the meets and bounds if if that was uh, challenging or maybe it was easy after dealing with pLSs i don't know <laughs> yeah you know you, you know i'll tell you what talking about talking about that hydrology thing i know a few people in atlanta here i just, well, shouldn't say a few couple that that uh, that um, passed the test, but they could never pass that hydrology. But here's the funny thing: when I took that exam in Georgia back in like 19, I'm going to guess at this because I keep forgetting 95, 96, something like that. 
that hydrology thing was in there. And honest to God, this is a true story, Kurt. I wrote on my, I didn't answer one of those questions on hydrology, which represented like 20% of the entire exam. And I wrote a note that, A, I'm not even sure how I spell hydrology. (laughs) And I swear to God, I said, I will sign anything that I will tell anybody when I do surveying. I know nothing about hydrology because I don't. And I still got a 72. So, so. So, uh, but that is a true story. I mean, I that, and that they must have uh, they must have uh, put that hydrology in you know in George's way back when. But yeah, they just you know they just they just took that out and and uh, I, you know I'm kind of glad that they did. Now my son has no problem whatsoever doing that, doing you know any hydrology type stuff. But uh, you know I really wouldn't fool with it. Right, and and I think. I, I don't want to speak for people, but I think the, uh, a large percentage of the people who are, quote, land surveyors yeah. um, really don't get into that. And so um, it's – and they've I, they worked on that for quite some time, I think, to, to get to where it was. And, and, of course, like with anything else, you have different factions within the within the profession of we don't really need to do that and others saying, no, we've got to hang on to it, it's got, and that kind of thing. And so – No doubt, uh, yeah, you're right. Anytime that comes up, and, and of course – the fact that, and you and I can talk about this because we're both surveyors. But anytime right. we all get involved in having surveying discussions, you're you're going to have varying opinions and strong ones uh, too. No so. doubt about it. Yeah, I know. But, <laughs> it's no different than politics. You know. Oh, yeah, true. Same, That's very true. Same, yeah. same, same, same thing. But uh, but uh, but I know that we originally talked about uh, about how I thought I'd mention some of these guys who I. Who, who, who crossed my path in my life in surveying that were involved in World War II, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting because even, even as a kid growing up in Omaha, Nebraska, I grew up on a street, Kurt, that was so similar to that, to that Ralphie on Christmas story. It was just <laughs> almost, I swear to God, I mean, it, I mean, I mean, you would not, even the school, you wouldn't believe it. And the only thing that we didn't have was a mailbox out in front. Everybody had their mailbox, of course, on the front porch. But, but, uh, but you know, you know, even back then as a kid going to school, because I was born in the mid-40s, going to school, uh, even right next door to our house was two brothers married to two sisters, and they were in the same house. But don't forget, back then, right out of, you know, right, you know, 10 years after the Depression or this and that stuff, people still bunked together because now people didn't have a lot of cash flow, and, and uh, you know, and they kind of did the best they could to team up and, you know, wait until they, you know, have enough dough to take off on their own. But next door to me was two brothers and two sisters married to each other, and, and, and uh, they were both in World War Two. One of them was a tank driver on Guadalcanal and you know and Tarawa, and uh, and the other one was a uh, uh, was in the army going through Ger- Germany. But God, what stories, uh, Kurt? Yeah, I mean, you know. And the neat thing is, is back then I was interested in that, and I don't know why because I was you know only like maybe six years old or seven or eight or so. But but uh, uh, and even up and down the block on each side of the block. It just seems like everybody was in a World War Two, you know, and and uh, and you know, and going and going going from there, 
I was thinking, God, even the, you know, even my teachers at South High School in Omaha, I'll bet you, you know, a large portion of those guys were were on the GI Bill after World War II and became teachers at this high school. But you never gave it much thought because, after all, when you're in high school, the last thing you're thinking about is uh, where your teacher came from. There's a few things on your mind besides, you know, besides that and algebra, you know. But yeah, that's but, uh, for sure. Yeah, you know, but. Uh, but, but, you uh, know, you're so – and we're 45 seconds from the break, so I won't get too much of this because I want to come back and pick up on our discussion. But, you know, yeah. one of the things I found, too, I grew up in that same era. I was born in the late 40s, 48. And, yeah. uh, but it was the same way. You know, I lived in a really small town, and, mm-hmm. and and I do want to touch on this some when I come back. The thing that is most remarkable to me is how little so many of them even talked about their experiences. And, oh, and, I'll, and I'll follow up on that a little bit when I come back for a particular situation that that happened in, in my neighborhood over all those years. And, um, you know, War Hero living right down the street, his kids were my sure. friends. And nobody knew. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, Absolutely. it's just really funny. So let's go That's take common. our first break, and we'll come okay. back in uh, just a couple of minutes. Sure. Quick stakes. Is your answer to staking lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes? Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden steak. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Steaks, your back-friendly steak. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You know, John, when we were going to break, uh, you were talking about these folks who were in the neighborhood and... and, uh, that's just so common, I guess, everywhere back in those days. And like you said, you un- unless you had an oper- had the reason or opportunity to talk to them and listen to them, and they, like you said, they could have been your teacher. They could have been, you know. Yeah. For me, a lot of them were my uh, on my paper route or, or whatever. But uh, the story I was going to tell you about was one of my best friends uh, lived not far from us. You know, only maybe a quarter mile away or something. And, and his dad was one of the most unassuming people I've ever met in my life, just super guy. And, you know, he worked pretty much his entire uh, career, at least me knowing him. And I, I got to know him in the early 50s. Uh, but uh, he worked at a local hardware store and worked on lawnmowers and appliances and all those kind of things. And um, I was in their house all the time when we were kids. I mean, his son right. and I did little jobs together you know we mowed lawns and cut wood and whatever we could do to make a little bit of money and 
Uh, I ate most of my summer lunches at their house, by the way. But anyway, sure. I was around them all my life uh, until I was old enough to, to leave. And of course, that's been a long time now. But his dad died, um, I don't know, a few years ago. And when he did, there was in the obituary, it talked about his service in World War II. And, I mean, he was a war hero, decorated more than you could even imagine. Right. But you would have never, ever known that to have talked to him. And and I don't know what it is about that that group in particular, or even, even the Korea War veterans, for that matter, and probably is that way a lot of it with Vietnam veterans as well, other than the fact that they got thrust into the news by by no fault of their own, just for right. whatever the political reasons were at the time. No but, doubt. Uh, so much to learn from those people. Yeah, you bet. You bet. I mean, and, and, and you, are, you are right on target when you say you would have never known. You, they were so unassuming, and they never talked about it. And, you know, don't forget kids don't, you know, your mind mindset isn't in that direction what's, whatsoever. But, but uh, you, I mean, I tell you, Kurt, you're, you're absolutely correct. The, the, during my time in surveying, there was four people who I actually worked with and for, and I didn't know, just like you. I saw it in the rope bits, and I said, God, this, has, this can't be this guy. The first guy that I worked for, he was a tank commander for Patton. And I said, gee, what the hell is this about? And 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 uh, and then and then I was talking to a few guys who I know who uh, who knew him better than me, and uh, he was a surveyor, and uh, yeah, he was a tank commander across the Rhine in in March of '43 and or '40, I think '44, uh, and uh, and uh, and he, I guess, he was uh, ordered north, and Patton kept going, you know, going going east, I guess, but. Uh, uh, I mean, it was really, really. I mean, that's. I mean, that's a pretty. That's a pretty severe deal being a you know tank commander for Patton. But uh, the three others, uh, and I don't don't know that much about him, and I hate to even start talking about it because I I might be incorrect and and assuming too much. But uh, uh, here's this other guy that I work for. You talk about a guy that would blend into the woodwork. I mean, you wouldn't know this guy. From, I mean, he just, you know, just uh, you wouldn't pick him out in a crowd at all. But here's a guy that I talk to every day of the week. I worked for him from, his name was Fred Nance, N-A-N-C-E, in Omaha. He had a little company called Nance Engineering, had about 30 people working for him, and he only really needed 15, but he had 30. And, uh, and uh, uh, he, I, never, I never knew this guy was even in World War II. Never talked about it, and I saw him every day. And you know, one day I said, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna look him up on Google and see where he is. I'd love to chat with him and you know just talk to him. And I found out that he had died, uh, and I think in 2013 at age 94. But you know, what I found out, Kurt, was most amazing. This guy graduated from Des Moines High School in 1937. He uh, worked for a year after uh, after school, after high school, went into Iowa State and graduated as a civil engineer. And in, 19, in April of 43, um, went into the Army, the Navy, I think he went into, 
And his first, uh, I mean, this guy was the most soft-spoken, fair guy you'll ever meet in 50 years. And so he he ended up on this ship called the SS Cape San Juan. And he was the the uh, zigzagged and had a blackout all the way from San Francisco to New, to New Zealand, and about about uh, 300 miles south of Fiji Island, that ship of his was torpedoed by a Japanese submarine, and he was hanging on the side of that thing from 5:30 a.m. until 7 o'clock at night, and accidentally a PBM. Uh, uh, airplane came by and spotted them. There was like 1,460 people on that on that ship, and the sharks were eating people, according to the stories, like you wouldn't believe. I think there were 16 to 20 that were killed instantly when the torpedo hit, and then another 130 between the, the time that thing was, which was 5.30 a.m., and uh, they were all picked up like Thankfully, uh, that night at like 8 or 9 o'clock from different ships radioing and saying, hey, you know, this ship was hit and this and that stuff. But in all those years, all those years, uh, Kurt, never mentioned one thing. Now, don't you think if you or I were on a ship that was torpedoed and hanging on the side of it, you'd be saying, God, you know, you'd want to tell that story, but never a word, you know? Yeah, you know. Kind we, of funny. We, we tell the stories about... Uh, delivering papers or putting up hay as if it was a tough job. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, it is it is very interesting uh, yeah. that you say that. And and I don't remember if I've mentioned this on the show or not. But in talking about people that you re- you admire and respect, yeah, I worked sure. with a guy similar to that. He came to work for our company that I was a partner in back in yeah. Blacksburg, and I I didn't know at the time when he first came to work, but uh, got to know him over the years. Just a stellar stellar person. Yeah. Um, went into the Navy at 17 years old, lied to get in uh, in 1943, and uh, ended up being on one of the earliest of what they call the underwater demolition teams, what's now the yeah. Navy SEALs. Right. And, uh, but again, it's that exact same mentality, that same uh, demeanor. Maybe that's, I don't know if that's the right word to use or not for mm-hmm. all those sure. guys that... Yeah. That just went through so much that oh yeah we we have yeah. no way of even imagining what it was like, and then they came back and went about their lives. Uh, yeah, didn't didn't ask for anybody to give them anything. They yeah came back and and went into into society and and became for the most part very productive people. It was, it was. Oh yeah, there was a guy that also worked with me in surveying at that same engineering firm, from like '67 to '72. He was a guy that was uh, born in 1928, so he was older than us, and uh, he was from Lithuania. This guy, you talk about seeing the war, being in the war, watching the war, feeling the war. This guy was in Lithuania, and. Uh, they were on a 140-acre farm, and he said in summer of 44, the Germans started shooting at them from the right and the, and the Russians from the left. They had to run from their farm, the entire family, and they ran, and they got. They ended up boarding a train, a Nazi train, and the train took off, and then it stopped about two miles, and it ordered everybody off and gave them shovels. 
and, uh, and I mean, now these, you know, these stories are firsthand. This isn't secondary stuff. I've, in fact, I just talked to him about a week ago, but uh, and he's 90 now, but uh, but still in uh, in great shape. They were all ordered off the train to be able to uh, dig anti-tank trenches for the Soviets that were heading into Germany. And this thing, and then, and then, and then, uh, after about the third stop, his whole family was ordered off the train and, and sent to a farm where they were, because they were farmers anyway. But they made him stay because he was a young kid. He was, you know, like 16 and this and that stuff. And, uh, you know, and to make a long story short on that deal, uh, 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 he ended up uh, in a DP camp and they, uh, a displaced person camp in Dresden. Germany, and then right outside Dresden, about 25 miles east of Dresden, I think there's a little town called Siebnitz, S-E-B-N-I-T-Z, and they were all, the whole family was ordered there and working in a clothing uh, factory. They watched, they watched the British bombers bomb Dresden in February of 45, and, uh, and he said that you've never seen a You've never seen a glow like the bombing that the British did. It said the next day the the snow all around, even 25 miles away, was just full of soot and you know just uh, ashes and everything else. And the next day the Americans came came and bombed with their 500 bombers. And you know, Kurt, if you think about it, if you think about it today, if that happened, there is no telling what the American people would think if that, you know, that type of bombing. I mean, there's a big difference between, like, today, what they do when they bomb a target with Taliban or something and kill 14 people. This is killing, like, 140,000 people. That's a lot of people, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, and you just, you know. But, you know, but here's a guy, so then after that, he ended up in a DP camp till 49 in his family, and then they immigrated to the United States the way they're supposed to, and they came over here, and then they got here in, in, in Nebraska in 1950. He went into the Army for two years and, of course, ended up in Germany, even though the Korean War was still going on. And uh, he, met a, uh, he met a girl, the one girl he met in a DP camp, uh, to make a long story short on that one, they ended up getting together when uh, she went to Vancouver, he went to Nebraska, but they did get together and married and uh, had four daughters and uh, just a model citizen, nice, nice guy. And, and, uh, and, you know, these guys, I tell you what, it's really a pleasure that they did cross your path in life because, you know, they, they, you know, they really brought a lot, you know, they really brought a lot to the table on that, you know, and I really appreciated uh, meeting them and knowing them and, you know, working with them, you know. Absolutely. Well, believe it or not, we are 30 seconds out from another break. These conversations, when we find something of interest and, and we like to talk about, go really, really fast. <laughs> they so, do. Uh, they really uh, do. So we'll uh, we'll go take a break here in a few seconds. But uh, sure. these, these stories are amazing, and uh, you're right about, you know, what what impact do, would these kind of things have in, in today's world with oh, things yeah. being as they are? It's just hard yep. to know. But So let's it go to really break. We'll be, we'll be back in uh, just a couple of minutes. 
Sure. Quick stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes, your back friendly stake. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thanks, David. David, is, uh, I'm sure, is enjoying our conversation. He's one of those guys who who uh, has a lot of experiences, too, and, and he, and, yeah. and I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but he appreciates the, the conversations about these kind of folks because it seems as though those survival skills that, that they had, regardless yeah. of where they were born or where they came from, just was a whole different environment and you know we, you people like you and i are relatively close in age and and sure. we like to think that we too inherited a lot of that and and not so much inherited maybe so much as as we're taught it and lived it um and then something happened to our generation um we we decided all of a sudden that uh and, and i would say we in a collective sense <laughs> Uh, yeah. Not necessarily in an individual sense, but, but <laughs> in a collective sense, it seems as though uh, our, our generation sort of took a different approach, and, and it just kept building on that approach to kind of where we are now. And, you know, I, I think yeah. about people in, I don't know if you had military experience or not, but, I, you know, I think about a lot of people in, in, in my group who were primarily Vietnam veterans. Right. Uh, you know, they they went through similar situations. Uh, no, no doubt about it, and and I, I'm not really sure where where it came from that this whole concept of you can't let people learn to live, you can't let them learn to have hardship, you can't let them learn to how to survive under certain whatever the circumstances are, whether it's just being poor like a lot of us were, or right. if it was, you know some other uh, situation like the guy you were just talking about where his family was was taken, yeah. and yeah. I mean just just think about the 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 mental toughness it took for people to be able to be able to overcome that and but i and i guess a lot of it had to do with just the nature of how the world was then you know you you probably look back i look at my parents my grandparents they lived in a yeah. time where you had to be tough right you really really did you know and talk about military military experience uh i was uh, i was in the marine corps 
the reserves, and I uh, had a girlfriend one time, and I told her, I said, uh, you know, I, if I had stayed in the Marine Corps, I'd have been the youngest general they ever had. And she said, you couldn't be the general of a general store. <laughs> 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 so I figured I'd better get away from this gal. She's too smart. For, smart yeah, she, she, but, you know, but, 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 you know, Chris, or Kurt, you're so right in the generation gap. The people are, you know, people here do not know what it would be like, like the Germans did, running away out of town with the few things they could carry because the because the Russians were coming in. You talk about refugees, and, and 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 you know we don't know that. We have absolutely no clue of what that would be like to be able to have to run away from where you come from because because a foreign invader is coming. Could it ever happen here? I don't know. I mean, you know, I guess. Yeah, who knows? But but uh, um, you're right. It's a totally different mindset today. This Friday uh, on the Turner Classic Movie Channel, if anybody gets that, is going to be uh, a Henry Fonda show called Failsafe. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but if you haven't seen it, it's really, really one of the. I love Failsafe. I love Doctor Strange. Love. I love the shows like Seven Days in May. They're just to me the top shelf. They are the best. And this, and you know, and this, this show is really, really something where we accidentally bomb a Russian city, and because we bombed it, we're gonna. We told the Russians, well, okay, go ahead and pick a city in the United States to bomb. I mean. It's as far-fetched as that sounds. If you watch the show, you'll say, "God, that's really, that's really, really, really something." But you're right. It just that we today, the people of today, we have had it so good in the United States of America that the average person, you know, just doesn't know war. They don't. They don't. They have no clue if refugee is spelled with one e or two. They just don't know. And then, and, and I'm sure. Hey, I'd sure hate to see them have to live such a life, including me or you or anybody I've ever met. But, you know, I can just imagine the horror of grabbing uh, something and running out of town because, you know, the Russians are coming. And, uh, you know, so I don't know. Yeah, Tough and life. I think, uh, yeah, and I think you're right that we, we've been so insulated and isolated yep. in some ways that, that – uh, that whole idea is just not even discussed, and and, that, and to me that's a big mistake because if if you don't if you're not aware of what's out there, what could happen, what is happening actually right. uh, yeah. in the world, then you, you're setting yourself up to be susceptible to it. And and I, and, and you think about that for a second. You go back to any war. But let's just say World War II for the moment, and and what right. happened there with, with the invasions, uh, you know, the the German invasions and the counter invasions and all those kind mm-hmm. of things. Yeah. Um. Just that's so far from anybody's mindset. They yep. they don't even have an appreciation for all of that that took place, and um. So, I guess there's just a complacency that well, you know, we're things are always going to be the way they are. They're never going to change, but. I think if you don't realize those things and and understand that that type of mentality still exists in lots of the world, then you're just kind of setting yourself up to be 
be affected by it. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Yeah, just uh, you know, just you know, just like you say, it's just nice to you know, it's nice to be aware. I've watched so much World War II uh, stuff and read so much World War II stuff. One time. I was watching so much World War II during the weekend that I actually thought I was taking sniper fire. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just crazy, you know. But, but you know, it's always interested me because, uh, you know, there were 16 million Americans in that conflict. And that's, you know, in fact, I was named after uh, a cousin of, my, of mine that was uh, killed in that war. He was uh, over near... Um, uh, an island called Moratai, Moratai, I think it's M-O-R-O-T-A-I or something like that, and in the South Pacific there and over by the Philippines, not too far. And uh, he was in a crash. It wasn't shot down or bombed or anything. He was in a crash. Believe it or not, there was a lot of cra- crashes. When those planes were like going over to bomb wherever and they were in clouds, there was a lot of crashes. And, and, and uh, funny thing, they mentioned that the other day when I was watching some, I don't know what I was watching, but they were you know, saying that that happened a lot. And when one plane crashes, there's a few others that crash into them. And, uh, you know, that's how a lot of kids were killed. And there was like, you know, 10 crew to every plane. So every time a plane went down, 10 kids were killed, you know. A lot of kids killed in that war, like, you know, 300,000 or 290,000. It's a lot of kids, but, uh, and you sure hate to, you know, you hate to even think of that, you know, the guy coming to your door with that thing. Oh, my God, you know. You know, you're talking about the aircraft. There's a, I live near Dulles Airport uh, over in Mm -hmm. Virginia. At Dulles now, there's a, a newer version of the Air and Space Museum, uh-huh. right on right on the airport property. As a matter of fact, when people are laying over at the airport, they can ride a bus down and visit it while they're waiting for their next plane. If it's if it's a long enough wait. Wow, that's um, neat. But but we go over there a lot. And you were talking about the planes, and of course they have planes from the beginning of air flight all the way through to the. Right. There's, there's actually one of the space shuttles that was in space is in there. Uh, wow. and, every, and everything in between. You know, they have the Blackbird spy plane in there, and uh, it's just amazing. But you look at some of that aircraft from back in that era, uh, World uh-huh. War One, even World War Two, man, yeah. you're thinking, how did they ever survive flying in those planes? I know it. I know it. You know, Pensacola has a nice one, too. I've they do. To I've been to that one, too. Yeah, that's yeah, a really nice one. They have some pretty neat German stuff there, too. You know, hey, and you know something else that's kind of neat that nobody probably knows or a lot of don't know about it? Over there, uh, kind of in between Destin and Panama City, I think they still have these long runways, these these skids that go way out into the ocean. And those are the skids that they were using to to more or less develop the same concept that the that that the Germans had with their little flying bombs that would run out of g- uh, gas and and drop over like the London town and this and that stuff and that's one of the first things that and that's even even at that Eglin Air Force Base they you know I mean they had a lot of stuff come out of Eglin during World War II but but these skids I think they're still there and they the only way you can get to them is walk along the ocean there's no way, I don't think, to park somewhere and walk in there. But these things go out into the ocean like 500 feet or so, and they're just a long kind of a runway. And that's what they used, to, I guess, to you know to develop the uh, you know our type of of 
you know, long-range bomb without, you know, unmanned bombing, you know. Right. Makes you wonder why they left them, doesn't it? It really does, because don't forget, that's been like 70 years ago. I mean, right. you know, that's a long, a long time ago, but, uh, uh, you know, just, that's kind of neat stuff. I have a good friend of mine that's over in France now, and he's going through World War or he's he has a map that his grandpa gave him, and the map has a red line of all the roads and towns that he went through while he was in World War One from like from like uh, mid nineteen seventeen or mid you know like nineteen eighteen till the end of that war whenever we got in that thing, and and uh, and he said God he says it's so expensive over there he says he says hotels are like four hundred dollars a night. He says, and the hamburgers are 25 bucks. I said, God, no kidding. I said, I wouldn't have believed that. But, but uh, uh, he's, I, you know, he, he went through that whole thing. He and I, uh, he's, he lives in Destin, and he came up here about in Atlanta about two weeks ago, and he and, he and I uh, gave him, a, you know, drew out a second map so he'd have a little bit easier time to follow that stuff with the towns and stuff. But, uh but uh, yeah, that World War One. I, I tell you what, if you read about World War One, you'll say to yourself, "Whoever wrote this must have must have made a mistake." There's too many zeros on how many shells were thrown in here this day, or this, <laughs> or how many died that day. Because I mean, it was like there's one day there was like three thousand dead within a, like a square mile area. I don't even know how you'd walk around there, you know? Yeah, and you think about that. By the way, we're in in the last minute of our third segment but okay. uh, you you think about that the, the amount of ordinance that was used and, and all oh, that God. And, yeah. and you think about it in in the context of how we think and live today mm-hmm. but when you think about it in the context of what they had available to them to make that happen right you, you know you're still talking the era of model t cars <laughs> right <laughs> you know, exactly so so right. how did they even make that happen then you think you right. can't think of it in in the context of What's available today to make those kind of things happen? You have to no think doubt about it. In the context it. of the technology that they had at the time, and it just right. blows your mind. So right, right. But, well, when we come back, remind me to tell you about George Patton when he was in that uh, in that Mexican War of uh, whatever that was, 1912 or whatever that was. I got a good story to tell you there. Okay, we'll do that. And say with that, it's time to go to the break. So we'll be okay. right back. Cool. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quick Stakes today. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? 
lightweight, and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your bike-friendly stake. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. For those who are joining us today uh, on an SPS Radio Hour, uh, there's a method to the madness of our show today, and that is to demonstrate that the nature of surveyors and the mindset of surveyors to do research uh, goes beyond the, what we do in our everyday work. We, we're multifaceted people and so many things going on in our lives, and sometimes we get so caught up in the, the mechanics of the profession, John, and, and those types of experiences, um, we, we sort of forget the fact that surveyors are really, uh, I don't know, multi, they're certainly multi-talented, but they, but they also have multiple mindsets and interests uh, that in some way all come back to that underlying nature that we all have. I think we are all very, very similar from the perspective of wanting to delve into things and, and deal with things. And so uh, I'm, I'm really thrilled to have been able to have this show with you today to talk about uh, your, your, for lack of a better term, I'll use the word passion, <laughs> and, uh, and doing research along this, this area. And also I think it serves as a reminder that uh, – it's a it's a complex world we live in, and uh, nothing is really uh, cut and dried the way sometimes it's portrayed to us. True, uh, you know. I tell you what. I think probably if a guy looks back at like Servan, like you know, you and I started way back when. But but uh, I think when I look back and somebody said to me, "Hey, John, tell me what you think one of the best research projects you ever did was." I wouldn't have to think but maybe 1.8 seconds, and I'll tell you what that was, as briefly as I can. About 10 years ago, maybe, yeah, well, maybe 10, yeah, maybe 10 years ago, we were hired by a court in northern Georgia, and the thing was, we, the court needed a disinterested third-party surveyor to come out with a line where they thought the line was on a landlot line. Land, see, uh, uh, in Georgia, we've got landlots, and, and, and they're different landlots. Some are 40 acres, some are, you know, uh, 80, 120, 400 acres, and, they, and they're all different. But so uh, I got the surveys, and both these surveyors worked from what they started from at a corner of a landlot that was uh, a two-inch pipe. And one went, like, kind of north, and the other one went a little bit northeast. And these people have been fighting over the landlot line since 1950, and, 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 and that's a long time ago. And I remember in court, the judge asked these people, said, well, when anybody ever stepped over the line, did you do anything? And the lady said, I don't forget, I'm from Nebraska, so I don't know what this terms mean. The lady said, we went after him like a Martin to a gourd. I said, a Martin to a gourd? Does that mean? So, so evidently that's a bird. But real quickly, what we ended up doing was going to the archives, spending one day 
on the original notes and the original, this is before it was online, the original notes, the original surveys on the landlot line. Totally understand that when they mark the landlot line, the trees are gone. The posts are gone. Everything is probably gone. You might accidentally have a tree, but I doubt it. But what isn't gone, Kurt, was the old creeks and the old tributaries. And when they came across there, they marked on there at, you know, at at four chains, they hit this. At, you know, two and a half, they hit, they hit this. Those are still there. So what we did is we found a starting point that we knew was good and used that thing and chained like they did. And we came across that, that two-inch pipe that they've all been using, and they said, well, this thing's 272 feet short. How could that be? I mean, I understand they aren't going to be exactly right from 18... From you know 1832, but they're not going to be 272 feet short. We went to 272 feet more, and what we find a great big stone. Stone hasn't been found since 1870, since 1832. From that stone, we knew that we were right. But from that stone, we went directly north a half a mile, found another stone within one and a half feet of where it's supposed to be. But here's the funny part about this. We were so flat right, 100% right, but it goes to show you, no matter if you're right and you've got every bit of evidence to prove it, whatever attorney tells the best story, the jury is going to believe. <laughs> That's true. There's no doubt about it. And I'll tell you what. I have never been so right in my entire lifetime, and, 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 and I mean, the evidence proved it. You talk about, about evidence, I mean, this is the original monumentation. This isn't something that Bob Johnson said from Saturday afternoon. This is, this is the real old stuff. And you know what? I tell you, there was an attorney from Tennessee that was also a surveyor, and he should be ashamed of that sold that jury on there's a good chance the notes, the original 1830 notes, 1832 notes, were incorrect. And he had a great story. I didn't believe it for a second. But, <laughs> so in other words, what they ended up doing was going somewhere between my line and this other, you know, the other line. The other line. But, you know, that's just, you know, talk about, you know, talk about surveying and this and that stuff, and you know the evidence, and and that. But I tell you that that was the best research I've ever done in my entire life. I've never been so proud of myself in my life of finding the real, real stuff that was set in 1832, the original monumentation that was still there, and I, I and the case was lost. Unbelievable, really, yeah, really. That's the disheartening Pardon? part. In our mindset yeah. as surveyors, that's the disheartening part is you have all the evidence and you still lose yeah. because somebody's totally. been told. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. I mean, so it's true. just really, 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 really something. But, uh, but yeah, that's, I mean, you know, that's just, that's how it was. But, uh, uh, you know, one thing I was going to mention about how when our last conversation before break was, was how things have changed so dramatically from, uh, you know, back when we were young to now. How about this thing here back in like 1916 when that George Patton was in that Mexican war, I think Pancho Villa deal. One day 
this is the fact too. Patton came. Patton went out. He had a 1916 Packard, and he went out and shot some Mexican army people, tied them to his hood of his car, and drove it into camp. Huh? Can you imagine how that'd go over today? <laughs> yeah, not very well. <laughs> not very well. They'd probably shoot him. But but you know, it, it, it just goes to show you back then. I mean, there was just just different different type stuff that happened back then. It just, uh, you know, what happened back then, boy, I tell you, you probably shouldn't even mention it today because they just, they're just, they wouldn't buy into it, you know, but I don't know. You were know. talking about the, the survey story there a minute ago. Yeah. Living where you live. Did you yeah. ever run into a guy named Bill Morton? No, I don't think I have. Uh, M-O-R-T-O-N. Uh-huh. Bill died uh, a year or so ago. He was a urologist yeah. who got interested oh. in surveying. Started really? doing a bunch of research and wrote several uh-huh. books about it. Uh, really, really good guy. I always enjoyed uh, talking with him. He got he got uh, kind of interested in Ellicott's work, uh-huh. and uh, he wrote uh, two or three books about it. And just wow. it was amazing to see how uh, intrigued Bill got about the profession and how he he went out with with people sometimes and and looked at things, and I think he first got into it somehow. Maybe Walt Robillard was involved in something, and Milton Denny over there somewhere in Georgia, and, and uh-huh. somehow Bill got involved in it. But uh, it, it was just, it brought him to mind when you were talking about this case, uh, uh-huh. just because of how intrigued he became with the surveying profession and spent most of the most of the time in his last few years uh, on the planet devoted to continuing to research and, like I said, going to the National Archives and finding all this information. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what we are should be about, too. Of course, if we lose cases like the one you lost, maybe we'd lose our zeal for it. I don't know. I tell you, it seems like you, you have all the answers and you still lose. I know. I, you know, and not only that, I tell you, Kurt, I've never been, I mean, I was so hurt that, and I was just so proud of the research work that we did that was, I mean, it was just absolutely the best that you could ever do. Talk about Robillard. I drove back from a seminar in, I think, Grand Island, Nebraska with Robillard and this Rainierson guy who was that captain on that, or uh, Patton's captain on a tank a tank commander, you know? And uh, that was back when, uh, God, that was, that had to be like, um, shoot, maybe 19, 1972, 73, but, uh, but uh, you know, and you know, you know, one thing I forgot to mention, too, that friend of mine that was uh, over in Lithuania who went through all that DP camps and this and that stuff, he ended up coming to America and, uh, you know, the proper way, the right way, the legal way, and, and became a citizen and, uh, and also became a registered surveyor. And, and oh, wow. I remember, yeah, and no kidding, and, and, uh, what a nice guy. You know, you know, stop thinking about it. He had to teach himself English and this and that stuff and, you know, and then teach him, you know, uh, surveying. But I remember, I'll never forget, he and I took our test together in like, I think, in 72. And we were, and we drove there to the test. And, uh, and he said, well, John, he said, why don't we start asking some, each of us, each of us, questions that might be on this test so we're just going back and forth and back and forth and he says to me he says, you know i should probably drop you off at the bus station because you don't have a prayer pass of this test 
<laughs> really, 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 really funny. But uh, he, I tell you what, he's just really a great guy. Like I said, I talked to him last week. He's ninety years old, and and uh, and uh, what a swell, swell guy. And just always had, you know, never had a bad word for anybody. And just really, really, you know, and you know, just like you know, just like we said, Kurt, there's so much so many people that have crossed our paths that are just, man, I tell you what, it was just our lucky stars that this happened, you know, and, and that's really, really cool. It absolutely is. And here we are yeah. a minute away from, from the end of our hour. It's gone so quickly that I know uh, it, it always goes fast, but uh, it's gone yeah. really quickly. I, I just want to thank you for being with me today because sure. it was great to have a show like this where we have the a conversation on, yeah. on, the, on, on people and, we the surveyors and and right. uh, and then the history that you've been able to uh, learn yeah. about through the people you've run into over time and uh, yeah. hope everything continues to go well for you there in, in Georgia and we'll cross paths somewhere along the way I'll have to look you up next time I come down to meet my buddy Greg Johnson I mentioned earlier we'll we'll get together and uh, and have, spend a little time I'd love to do that that sounds great, and I'll do the same thing if I'm heading up in your neck of the woods, because sometimes I do. All right. Well, I appreciate it, John. Thanks so much for joining me today, and uh, right. let's make a point to talk soon. All right, Kurt. Thanks a lot. See you later. Thanks, John. Take care. See yep. you. Bye. Yep.